Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Hey, well, good morning again, and welcome to our shared online services. My name is David. I'm one of the elders here at Missio Day Chicago, Chicago and the pastor at Missio Day Humboldt Park. And I'm grateful that we can share and worship in this way. We're continuing on today in our current series entitled Kingdom Citizens. And this series is eight weeks long, and it's in the middle of a, a certainly a challenging season, but also a, a season where space is contested where uh, perspective is challenged, where there's a lot of uncertainty, and and we see that through the lens of politics. So we have framed this series to to pursue uh, the interchange between faith and politics. Dave launched our series by talking about that, and as Christians, uh, we're first and foremost kingdom citizens. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We look to and are obedient in the way of the kingdom and the will of the Father. We looked at how Jesus uh, not only proclaimed his political stance as uh, Lord, as the Son of God, how Jesus taught his disciples that Lord's prayer, and that is the kingdom of God primarily, the will of the Father primarily, But then he also backed it with enacting the ethics of the kingdom of God. Last week, Brian talked about nonviolent resistance. And today, I'm going to give a word on power. Now, in our world, power is seen and it's felt. And whether we strive for it or more of it or whether we despise the very presence of it, the question that I want to explore today is, as Christians, how should we relate to power? How do we understand it? How do we experience it? And should Christians use it? And if so, why? So to begin, I wanna give just a baseline definition of power. What is power? Well, power, simply put, is the ability to make things happen, to do something or to influence something or to influence someone. Now, as Christians, we have insight to the origin and the source of power. We have the word of God, and we look in Genesis, and we find that we are made in the image of God. We are created. We are creations of the living God, but we have this proclamation over us of very good. We've been given responsible rule and dominion within creation. We've been given this likeness as image bearers of of God. So we reflect back that image bearing to God to give him glory. And so the origin of power and the source of all power is God himself. This is what Stanley Hauerwas says about power. The power is one of the good gifts that God has given us to form good communities and good people. So power is a gift and that it's meant to be used to form good communities and good people. And God gave us, again, this responsibility, this rule and this dominion in a way that would steward good creation, again, uh, that would reflect back glory and, and honor to God and the heart of God. So what that means is that all of us are made in the image of God, and all of us, to one degree over another or of another, have power. Our very uh, presence alone in this world has impact upon this world and upon this community. And we know that also in Genesis, as a result of sin, as a result of evil infiltrating this world, that power can be used for its proper use for good, or it can be used for evil. 
power can be used or misused. The, the word misused is where we get the word abuse. Now, the, the text that I'm going to use today, and I'm going to briefly uh, launch out of this text, uh, because power is, is seen and displayed all over Scripture and sp- and spoken of specifically within scripture, but I want to hone in on maybe an unknown portion of scripture, uh, Ezekiel 34. It might be unknown because there's a stiff rebuke for the shepherds of Israel. That's a stiff rebuke for spiritual leaders. But uh, Ezekiel 34, I'm just going to read the, from the first section about four verses, but it's broken into three parts. The first part is a vision of or an example of misusing power. And that was by the shepherds of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel. The second section is on the proper use of power by the good shepherd, which is God himself. And then the third is this this, uh, promise of everlasting peace that is before not only those that this was written of in that context, but also for for all of us when we look forward to a time when there will be no misuse of power, where, where every knee will bow down, where every tongue will confess uh, that Jesus is Lord, where we look to uh, the setting right of a, of a flawed and, and broken world. So let me read, and then, and then we'll dive in. What sorrow awaits you, O shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let the flock starve. You have not taken care of the weak, you have not tended the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. They are easy prey for any wild animal. They've wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone in search for them. This is the word of the Lord. Here's a picture of uh, not only positional power, but most certainly uh, verbal uh, power, uh, incredible power dynamics that were set up and meant for the formation of good community, for blessing of other people that had been misused for individual gain. And that's, I think, the key, uh, the thread that will be woven throughout this whole talk is where is the direction of power used? What is it leveraged for? Is it for ourselves and individual gain, or is it to give glory to God and for good of others? I mean, if that's the perspective that we can focus in on this talk, I think it'll make it a little bit, a, a little bit more uh, like easy or easier to go through. Christian psychologist and author Diane Langberg, who uh, just released a book on Tuesday entitled Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. She has quite a lot to talk about in terms of power dynamics and the different types of power. But she says this, whenever power is used in a way that wounds the vulnerable and exploits trust, that's what we call abuse. That's when the shepherd feed on the sheep. That's when we, we know this is not in line with how we should utilize power or how we should, um, uh, you know, like have a Christian perspective when it comes to power. Elsewhere, she writes about the types of power. I want to blitz through this uh, very quickly, quickly because I, I think, again, like nobody would, would dispute the fact that power dynamics are play in our own heart or power dynamics are play within our own world. But I think there are times when we are leveraging power uh, in, in good ways, 
uh, or maybe bad ways, um, but we would see ourselves as powerless in, in, in other areas. And, and in today's day and age, it's really hard for us to say we want to take up uh, power, but we need to be empowered to see the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the ethics of the kingdom, the good formation of community seen within our day. But she says these are types of power. It's physical power, there's emotional power, verbal power, positional, so you think about status, reputation. There is intellectual power. There's also the power to withhold, withholding power, right? Withholding um, our presence in a space or our emotions, or our words, or our actions in a space is a, is a form of power. can be used for good or for evil. And then there's cultural power. And this one is, is massively important. And not to say if I look back 100 years or 50 years ago, uh, those were better times. I'm not going to say that by any means. But just look at the influence of cultural power within the Christian community over those timestamps that I just mentioned. Certainly, there's a sway, far-sweeping power of our culture. And it hits you when you leave this culture and you go into another one. You can see the pervasive power that we have marinated in. Um, it's great, and it is frequently unexamined. Now, each on their own, these powers have a great strength. But if you couple them, uh, one or two, excuse me, two together, then what you're going to find is that there is a powerful force that can bring about uh, joy or a joyful compliance or obedience. And one of the examples that, sh that Langberg gives, and I want to read it here, is from a quote from an influential leader. And let's see if you can guess who it is. This quote goes like this. Today, Christianity stands at the head of this country. And I pledge I will never tie myself to those who wish to destroy it. We want to fill our culture again with this Christian spirit. We want to burn out the recent immoral developments within our literature, within the arts, within the press. We want to burn out this immorality that is a poison, which poisons our very life and our very culture. Now, at face value, we, we listen to that. And we, we have to acknowledge that there are elements of that that would resonate with us. It certainly resonate with me. Is not this the language of revival? When, uh, if you've read the revival of the Hebrides, we talked about this, this uh, uh, description of revival is an outgoing of the Spirit of God and an awareness of the presence of God. There's like without the like evangelistic fervor of individuals, like people are aware that God is on the move and are desperately convicted over their sin and long for repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. This is a, the Christian language and spirit that we would long for. Some might even say that these are the words put into form that have shaped the longing of our individual heart. And then, of course, we find out who said this quote, and it was Adolf Hitler. Hitler had spoken these words to the German citizens after their humiliation and defeat of World War I. And the people were not only longing for status and pomp and reputation again. Certainly that's the case. They want to be seen as a, as a player globally. But moreover than that, these people that he was speaking to were longing for tangible needs to be fulfilled. Food on their shelves, jobs, security. They had a deep longing for these things. And here, emotional and verbal power met and touched the longing of their heart. See, when that happens, we very quickly can be deceived. We very quickly can, can find ourselves in line within a particular power construct. And we can very quickly deem that thing as righteous. 
Most certainly we've seen this within the political specter now, uh, or spectrum. Now, I don't want to make this uh, a conversation about that exclusive power dynamic because the kingdom of God, how we use power to form good communities is more important than our political persuasion. But we can see that when power touches our longings, we can be easily deceived. Langberg writes this, verbal and emotional power touched these longings and they immediately, that is the German people, heard what they longed for and they trust that the words were backed by character of integrity. They believed that those words were true and that those endeavors were righteous and that the tying to the Christian spirit would actually be biblical. Not so, for they followed those words and the church as well into a great evil. So combination of powers can be used in concert to make big things happen, important things happen, the change that we long for happen. Big things to, to cause social reform. So I don't want to demonize the coupling of power, especially if you're like a gifted person, you know, like uh, Elijah over here behind the camera. Say hello, world. He's back there. He's loving this. He's receiving the anointing coming from this amazing sermon. We can see a combination of powers, though, that can abuse the vulnerable. I was thinking about abuse, and I, I, I want to move quickly on to how do we leverage power. I think there's a word for us uh, here today. But there's so many examples. I just ran through Langberg's list of types of powers, and I, I came up with lists like, like physical power, Ray Rice, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Rob Lagojevich, uh, leadership power dynamics with Hybels or Yoder, or even the champion, uh, the French champion of the poor, uh, which had a, a major abuse problem from his ministry, Jean Venet. Incredible, incredible heartbreak. We've seen physical, verbal, emotional abuse. We know power exists. And I think there's this underlining skepticism of those who hold it. Very hard to, to be someone with high character that leverages power. But also we're skeptic of, our, of ourselves because we, we know also those great words from Uncle Ben Parker that says when great power comes, there's a need for great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. We also know the words with power is corruption or power corrupts, even the most noblest of hearts. So I believe there's this general unease around power even when we talk about power. Confusion uh, the sense of a, a detachment even from it. And we forget, I think, this, and Hauerwas, I'm going to use this quote again, that power is one of the gifts God gives us for the formation of good communities and for good people. I think we forget that first and foremost we are citizens of the kingdom of God and that as Jesus taught us to pray, for us to pray, our Father who art in heaven is holy his name is holy. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray for his will to be done. And then the stamp on that prayer is for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory. Abuse happens when we rob the glory from God and we seek it for ourselves. When we rob the kingdom of God and we seek to establish our own. And when we rob the power of God and when we seek to take it within our own hands. Not so for the Christian community. So the last thing that I want to leave us with, four minutes and 27 seconds of exhortation and application. How should we use power? How should we use power? Liken to the spiritual gifts. 
uh, to, to, to take a little bit of a step off the notes here, I find it amazing that the things that we can put in our own hands, the very earthly things, we run after. We know our natural wiring. We know our uh, uh, personality profile, like the back of our hand. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're at a loss. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that is a variety of spiritual gifts need to be brought together so that the church will grow up into Christ Jesus, into love, into health, into perfection. So I think that power is the same way. A lot of us are withholding. We are under either the coercion or we're under the delusion that the influence that we have does not translate to good communities and for the blessing and good of other people. So how do we use power? I have two verses for you. First, Matthew 28. Both are post-resurrection, pre-ascension, right? Matthew 28, Jesus says this. I have been given all authority. That word means absolute power in heaven and on earth. All of it has been given to me. All authority, all power. And so then I send you to go make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to be obedient to all the commands that I gave to you. And be sure of this, that I am with you until the end of the age. So there's a source of power and there's a presence of power within the Christian community. So all power is derivative. All power is derivative. And we've been sent in the very way of the kingdom of God. And so if you have the power, verbal power, for example, that verbal power came from the very word of God. If you have great physical power, just remember that the foundation, the strength, the stronghold of your life, the one who holds all things together is the one who entrusted it to you. If you have intellectual power, just be reminded of the one who set the foundations of the earth, the one who is all wise, the one who is, uh, uh, the one who is orchestrating the plans of this good restoration project on this earth, and so on and so forth. All power is derivative. Be careful of the temptation to rob God of power and glory. Few minutes, I know, but I gotta reference uh, my grandfather, my spiritual father, uh, one of my spiritual fathers, that is. He said, David, in ministry, you're going to be tempted with uh, three things. You're gonna be tempted first and foremost with abusing uh, your platform and abusing relationships. Some of that could look like the potential for affairs, but some of that could look like manipulation of people's emotions for your own individual gain, and you can make it sound like it's from God. Do not destroy God's glory in your life because of selfish endeavors. The second is a great temptation to, to grab things. Uh, so there will be a temptation to buy things that you want on the church's dime. There will be a great temptation to, to consider the buildings and the resources and the ministries as your own and your own little plaything for status or, or for, uh, uh, for prestige. So that's another great temptation. And then the last one, and this is the one that pastors neglect all the time, and I think people neglect all the time, is robbing God of his glory. Robbing God of worship that is due his name. How many of us are robbing God of his glory by simply practicing confession, by simply uh, practicing repentance, by simply coming to the house to praise because we think that our way is better than his way? The second uh, application for you, and in 30 seconds, I'm gonna do this, 
is from John chapter 20. You know, the tomb is empty. People are starting to talk about Jesus reappearing, that power of resurrection life has come, that the, that the words of Jesus, the prophetic ministry of Jesus is true. And Jesus pops up literally amongst his disciples and they wig out filled with joy. And he speaks peace over them, like chill out, calm down, peace has come to you. But then he does something very unique. He shows them the wounds in his hand and on his side. And then he says, as the father sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, the one who, who is the Son of God, all things were created in and through him and by him, everything, I laid down my divine right so that I could take up your humanity, your need. So power not only is derivative, but power demands. Power from God demands that we are humble with it. Power is not about rule. It's not about external benefits as a primary. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the heart. God's power, first and foremost, must be cultivated internally. And if it is, it will manifest in a healthy way externally. So we must be called to conform into the image of God, to love as Jesus loved, to enact the way of the kingdom of God, unafraid of walking uh, in our own power, but submitting fully to the very power of God. Let us not rob God of his glory. Let us not rob God of his purposes in our life. Let us not uh, diffuse or demean the gifting that's been placed in you. So let me pray. God, would we be a people uh, that walk in power? I gotta believe that the gospel of Jesus, backed by the acts of the apostle in great and powerful ways, is not limited to that time. I gotta believe that you're gonna do something here. All throughout scripture, we see desperate situations and dependent people walking in otherworldly ways, causing social and spiritual good. So I pray that this moment that we're in is one of those moments, that we're desperate enough to believe in you and be dependent on you. Do not, uh, Lord, would we not waste these years of promise? Would we not waste this time of purpose? Would we not misuse your power? And so to your fame, to your name, to your glory, we pray this in all things. Amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.